From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. We're heading into the snowiest time of the year. So what can we expect? It looks like El Nino is going to do us a fairly decent service as we move into spring. And the extended forecast is calling for a wetter than average next 30 to 60 days. We'll check in with Mike Nelson, who has a big announcement of his own. Then, Colorado loves beer. There's 50 states in the nation. There's only one Colorado when you look at the beer industry. A lot of the really iconic breweries from the 1800s on have come out of Colorado, from Coors and Golden to New Belgium and Fort Collins. You know, beer has really found a home in Colorado. Colorado is also home to one beer spa. Really? A beer spa? Most of the people are asking, are we really betting in beer? Thank you to the hundreds of individuals and families that give gifts of over $10,000 to Colorado Public Radio. We're so grateful for your trust, partnership, and passion. CPR serves Colorado, and donor support is essential to that mission. You can join the leadership giving community with a transfer of stock, a distribution from an IRA, an individual leadership partner donation, or a gift from your donor advised fund. Learn more on the support page at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. After a slow start, Colorado's snowpack is returning to normal levels, and that's good news for our water supply. We asked Denver 7 Chief Meteorologist Mike Nelson about the outlook and some big news of his own that he's retiring at the end of the year, capping off a distinguished career as a forecasting pioneer. He spoke with my co-host, Ryan Warner. Hi, Mike. Hey, Ryan. How are you? Well, I'm okay. We'll reflect on your announcement in a moment. But uh, first, we're headed into Colorado's snowiest months, March and April. What is the outlook heading into spring? It looks like El Nino is going to do us a fairly decent service as we move into spring, as the storm track has been pretty good moving storms from the California area uh, across the Great Basin into Colorado. We had a decent one last week. We get another one later this week. And the extended forecast is calling for a wetter than average next 30 to 60 days. So I think that bodes well for us. It's not going to be all that cold. Some of it will likely come down as very wet snow or even some rain for lower elevations. But the mountains should still manage to get some pretty decent snows coming up in the weeks ahead. Gosh, in one of the recent storms, it was fascinating to see how in Metro Denver, at least, it started very much as rain. And then it went through this process of slowly freezing and then it became snow. It was this, I don't know, precipitation evolution. Yes, it was indeed. And it was good to see us get some mid-winter moisture because uh, it had been a little dry for a few weeks. Uh, we'll start to get this snow machine cranking up again, I think, especially for the mountains. February is usually kind of a disappointing month in terms of snow statistically for Denver, but uh, March and April generally deliver. And if you're like me, by the time you get to the middle part of April, it's like enough. <laughs> Could we just have springtime now? But it generally takes until about the uh, second week of May, as we all know. Colorado's snowpack is about 98% of normal. Uh, but based on the weather outlook, it can be kind of a double-edged sword, right? I mean, if the snowpack melts too quickly because of warmer weather 
later on, there's a whole host of problems. I certainly like to see it melt out slow for a number of reasons. One, spring snowmelt flooding is a big concern for a lot of the mountain communities. And secondly, and I think almost more importantly, the longer it takes to melt out, the better it is for our overall water supply. Uh, Highs in the low to mid-50s this week after cold and snow over the weekend. Mike, do we expect more extreme swings in the face of climate change? Climate change makes everything more dramatic. It's really good at that. And so with a warmer global system, with more energy in the atmosphere, that magnifies floods, droughts, storms, tropical activity. All of these things get to be greater fluctuations as you get more energy in the climate system. And that's what we're seeing happen as we have the increase in warming globally from the increase in heat trapping carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The system feels important here because I'd like to discuss, and I've just learned this term, AMOC for short, the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation. Uh, Basically, the circulation of the Atlantic Ocean, which a new study finds is heading for a tipping point. Uh, To quote the Guardian publication, the scientists behind the research said they were shocked at the forecast speed of collapse once the point is reached, although they said it was not yet possible to predict how soon that would happen. Is AMOC on your radar? It is, and probably the most familiar thing that people would know about it is the Gulf Stream. That is why it's so mild in England compared to the same latitude over here in the Western Hemisphere, because the flow in the Atlantic has taken for uh, centuries, thousands of years, the warm waters from tropical regions up along the the, uh, east coast of the United States and then across the Atlantic over into northwestern Europe. This is thermohaline circulation. So it's not only temperature, but salinity of the water. And what we're finding is as cold fresh water melts off of Greenland into the North Atlantic, it is changing that thermohaline circulation in the Atlantic Ocean, and it could potentially shut it down because then you wouldn't have this deep transfer of very dense salty water that is moving deep in the ocean and eventually coming all the way around coming back up and meeting warmer waters in the caribbean it's complicated but it's it's something that we know occurs but if you start changing that circulation you could have some dramatic effects that could even include um colder regional weather in northwest europe because you'd shut off the gulf stream there's some talk about the day when the english channel might be frozen as a result of this change yeah i I always go back to that margarine commercial back in the 70s where it's not nice to fool mother nature (laughs) and so it's uh, as we change the climate system because of global warming it's often been called global weirding strange things may happen Well, do you remember the first time you heard global warming or climate change or when it became maybe a regular part of your vocabulary? And if Uh, this is beginning to sound like we're walking down memory lane, it's because it is. (laughs) I first heard about it in lectures in the mid-1970s at the University of Wisconsin. So I've known about it for a long time. Uh Uh-huh. 
You've been chief meteorologist at Denver 7 for half of your 40 years in TV. I wonder if there's a single weather event that stands out to you, which is probably like asking you to pick a favorite or least favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I remember really the the two big blizzards most vividly, the uh, the one in 1997 in October when I had Steve Atwater, the Bronco, in my living room waiting for a snowmobile to take him to the airport to take him to the Buffalo game. And that was memorable. And then uh, uh, the big one in 2003 as well that dropped so much snow and completely changed our our uh, water picture for the uh, cleared up the drought in one storm. Hmm. What's the first weather event you remember, not as a meteorologist, but as just a human? And, you know, I had to challenge myself to think of what the answer would be for me. It's definitely the time I spent on the family farm in Waverly, Iowa, learning about why basements were so important in tornado country. (laughs) For mine, I was six years old. It was Madison, Wisconsin, my hometown. And we had this incredible thunderstorm that came through. We had tornado warnings. We had flash flood warnings. We had trees knocked down, Hmm. large hail. We were down in the basement because that's where my mom took us three kids and a lot of people would be frightened. I was totally excited, and uh, I kept running back up the stairs to go to the window to look outside. My mother would have to run back up the stairs behind me and grab me and take me down in the basement. This went on two or three times during the course of that storm. It was my inspiration to become a meteorologist. Oh, well, I'm glad you were safe going back upstairs. Nice yeah. of you to stick around, Mike. Um <laughs> You are a pioneer, I mean, helping develop the graphic system for TV weather, which, uh, like the platform, which still used around the world today. Uh, you actually installed weather computers at more than 50 TV stations across the country, including the first here in Colorado. Um, these days, how much comes down to computer modeling versus like your own instincts? Well, I go back, I'm pretty old school. My first weather maps were drawn with magic markers and magnetic suns and clouds when I was first on TV in the 1970s. And we did go through the entire development of the uh, television weather computer systems that everybody uses today. Uh, I trained the legendary Stormy Rotman here in Denver on his first computer, along with his colleague and my longtime friend Bill Custer. Uh, I actually trained Al Roker on the very first weather computer that he ever used. And so I went through all the development of the systems that we uh, take for granted today. Uh, And the thing, and I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man saying, get off my lawn. But the thing we have to be careful about is to still do the analysis and all of the study of what's going on in the weather. It's very easy today to just let a computerized app spit out a forecast. And uh, I try very hard with my own forecasting to still go through all of the uh, the discipline of forecasting the weather, doing the analysis, looking at all of the different conditions that come, come in on many different computer platforms, the satellite, the radar. And um, I show my forecast. I don't give you here's what this model shows and this model shows this and this one shows that. To me, that would be like your doctor saying, well, here's your X-ray and here's your MRI and here's your CT scan. What do you want to do? (laughs) And I would rather 
show my audience what I think is going to happen. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm not going to make you go through all of that and try and make your own decision. I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. One of your passions is teaching kids about weather. In 2001, you were recognized by the Colorado Broadcasters Association as Citizen of the Year for your volunteer work in schools. Uh, your dizzying tornado dance comes to mind for me. I wonder if, if any of those kids became weather geeks and like circled back to you, Mike. Uh, I have had so many interns that worked with me at both stations here that I worked at in Denver uh, that are now in TV weather ah. all across the country. And that is a, a tremendous uh, compliment. But my favorite story is I was out at Lockheed Martin. This was about 10 years ago, and they were working uh, on the new weather satellite. Uh, and they're all these I'm doing a stand up in the clean room. And behind me are all of these white coated technicians working on the satellite. And I finished my stand-up, and a whole bunch of them are standing right behind me. And they said, hey, Mr. Nelson, can we take a selfie with you? And I said, sure. Why? And these guys said, you totally came to our grade schools when we were little kids. <laughs> and I was so impressed by that because these people are now rocket scientists. And they remembered when I came and talked about science and weather at their class. And so I hope that in the course of time, and my wife Cindy and I did the back of the envelope calculation. We think that in over 45 years of speaking at schools, I spoke to over a million children. Whoa. And I just hope that I've made people more scientifically literate and curious. Well, Mike, uh, congratulations. And I hope that between now and December 12th, when you sign off, uh, well, gosh, that there's just a lot of of goodwill. Thanks, Ryan. Mike Nelson, longtime Denver 7 chief meteorologist, speaking with my co-host, Ryan Warner. Nelson joins us each month to discuss Colorado's climate and weather. On Monday, he announced that he's retiring from his TV broadcasting career at the end of the year. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. The arts. In Colorado, that includes theater, dance, music, visual art, and more. With so much happening, it can be tough to keep up. I'm CPR arts reporter Eden Lane. Every Thursday, I shine a spotlight on what's happening and the art news you want to know across the state. The CO Arts Spotlight. Listen every Thursday during Morning Edition and All Things Considered, and read it on CPR.org. With support from the law firm of Alan Valone, Wolf, Helfrich, and Factor. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Everyone in Western Colorado knows that the Grand Mesa is the world's largest flat-top mountain. But is it really? CPR's Western Slope producer Tom Hess set out to find a source for one of the region's most repeated claims to fame. Here's Colorado Wonders. Hello! Again! Again! We're, we're, we're like best friends again. Dog pants. Yeah, dog yeah. pants. It's the dog loop, so I'm wearing dog pants. Even on a cloudy Tuesday, Grand Mesa's Nordic ski trails are alive. Dogs wearing boots, skiers in spandex, and the swish of cross-country skis that scores the area's winter soundtrack. The mountain hovers over the Grand Valley. It climbs out of Palisades Fruit and Wine Orchards up about 6,000 feet, 
going over desert cliffs through throngs of gamble oak, and finally cresting a rocky, sheer cliff rim that gives way to an astoundingly flat and wooded landscape. And skiers know that this incredible formation must be number one in something. It's a, the world's largest flat-top mountain, they say. And well, I think it's the, isn't it the largest flat-top mountain in, in the continental U.S.? That it's, that it's the, the highest flat-top flat mountain. Um, Mesa in, in the, the country. Yeah, We're in, in the, the country. Nation. In the country. country. Yeah, in the certainly. The usual claim, the one that you'll see on travel guides or on the Visitors Bureau website, is that the Grand Mesa is the world's largest flat-top mountain at around 500 square miles and a maximum elevation of more than 11,000 feet. It's on the Wikipedia page. I learned it in school when I was in elementary school. My teachers even said it, and we did a big project about it. That's Mackenzie Shawcroft, Grand Junction skeptic. But I've always wondered, is it actually the largest flat-top mountain in the world? And even what does that mean? You know, what's the difference between a plateau or a flat-top mountain? We'll start with that last part. Where does a flat-top mountain end and a mesa begin? What about a plateau? Here's Lon Abbott, a professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder. I teach a class called Geology of Colorado, and I've been interested in Colorado geology for a really long time. And Grand Mesa, it has a fascinating geologic story. To the point of the listener's question of the biggest flat-top mountain in the world, it's just a really tricky thing. And so I'm not surprised that the listener didn't see the sort of ultimate source of that. That's because... Flat-top mountain isn't a real term, not in the sense that it has a set definition. Instead, it's more of a colloquial thing, like how some parts of the country say soda and others say pop. Geography is loaded with words like this. Like a gully or a draw, that's definitely a regional thing. You go to other countries and you don't hear about, you know, draws or arroyos in some parts of the world like you do here. Abbott says this is where the term flat-top mountain adds some elegance to the claim. Without that distinction, Grand Mesa definitely doesn't have a case. You don't really have to go beyond Colorado to see some other viable candidates. So a good example is the Rhone Plateau and Mesa Verde. Mesa Verde is about the same size, crudely, as Grand Mesa, and the Rhone Plateau is much, much larger. And both of them are flat, but neither one anywhere near as flat as Grand Mesa, and the Rhone Plateau is much larger. So that sort of illustrates the distinction between, well, where does a plateau end and a mesa begin? But what about the claim? The one you'll see on visitor sites. Wikipedia, and hear from skiers getting in a morning workout. Semantics aside, word choice aside, is Grand Mesa the largest flat-top mountain in the world? As a plateau, no way. As a mesa, eh, it depends on what what your definition of a mesa is and where that ends from a plateau. Largest flat-top mountain, maybe, but unlikely, but nobody's going to be able to prove you wrong. Colorado Mesa University professor Andres Aslan agrees. He'll also tell you that's not the only misconception about the feature. So an analogous situation that involves Grand Mesa is the common claim that it represents an ancient volcano. Aslan's right. Poke around a little and you'll find plenty of people making that claim. Strictly speaking, Grand Mesa is not a volcano, 
but instead are the lava flows from past volcanic eruptions. That's why the Grand Mesa is so flat. It was formed from lava, which pools in a level surface the way you'd expect of other liquids. And, if you think about it, that means something incredible for the formation of the area. Grand Mesa is an outstanding example of what geologists call topographic inversion. The Mesa, which is the highest landform in our area, at one time was the lowest elevation in the region. Basically, it used to look like the Grand Valley where Grand Junction is located today. So the lava poured into an ancient valley that, again, would have had the geometry similar to what we see in the Grand Valley today. And the lava filled in the bottom of the valley and cooled to form very hard basalt. That basalt lasted, while the rest of the area eroded away, leaving the Grand Mesa looming almost a mile above where Grand Junction sits today. Lon Abbott over at CU says you can still find evidence of this, if you know where to look. Geologists have found kind of near Land's End on the western side of Grand Mesa. If you go just below the cliffs of basalt lava, there's a bunch of gravel that's clearly transported by a river that people have interpreted as the ancestral Colorado River. And so it looks like the Colorado River, which was making, you know, Grand Valley back 10 million years ago, it was a little further south from where it is now. So there you have it. Fascinating geological case study, but maybe not the world's largest flat top mountain. Mackenzie was right to be skeptical. I, I feel kind of bad for like, you know... I hope it doesn't, yeah, it's in all of these, like, come to Grand Junction, like, we have this really cool claim to fame, and I hope I don't, you know, hurt anything by calling it out, but you also kind of, when you hear those things, you wonder, is that really true, or is it just like a marketing thing? I know, are you going to go after Palisade Peaches next? <laughs> no, leave the peaches alone. And you know, the Grand Mesa is still worth visiting, regardless of how tall or how big or whatever, it's still an amazing place. In Grand Junction, I'm Tom Hess, CPR News. <laughs> Tom Hess is the Colorado Matters Western Slope producer. What do you wonder about when it comes to life in the Rocky Mountain State? Send us your question at cpr.org slash Colorado Wonders, and we may answer it on air and online. When we come back just in time for Valentine's Day, Colorado's love affair with beer. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Fellow members of the motion picture industry and honored guests, this is one of the happiest moments of my life. Hattie McDaniel is the first African-American to win an Oscar, but it wasn't the only barrier she broke. She was the first black woman to sing on the radio on station KOA in Denver in 1925. McDaniel grew up in Denver and started performing at East High School, dropping out to join her brother's traveling minstrel show, and later she got to Hollywood, into the motion picture industry, and the role of Mammy in Gone with the Wind. Just hold on and suck in! As a black woman, McDaniel was barred from the premiere in Atlanta in 1939, and at the Oscars, she was seated separately from her co-stars. It ain't fitting, it just ain't fitting. But there were more roles for her to play, and more firsts in her career. Today, Hattie McDaniel has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. One for motion pictures, the other for radio. A Colorado postcard from Colorado Public Radio. With the support of Coble Urban and Mountain Communities. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Today we're going to spend some time talking about beer. 
And let's face it, Colorado loves beer, especially craft beer. And as something I read while researching this topic noted, with the number of craft breweries scattered across the Centennial State, someone could make it their life's effort to try a beer from every brewery and taste Colorado brews daily for years and not have the same beer twice. That's a lot of beer. (laughs) Well, here's a fact that you may not be aware of. Honestly, I wasn't until very recently. In 2022, Colorado continued its reign as the top state in the country for total beer production, pushing out an impressive 20.7 million, yes, million with an M, barrels. Whoa. And our state has been the top beer producing state since overtaking California in 2006. And I'm pretty sure this little brewing company based in Golden, Colorado had a lot to do with that. I know, bad joke. But here to tell us more about it is Alex Davidson, Director of Public Affairs for the Beer Institute. It is the oldest national trade association representing the beer industry. Alex, welcome. Thanks for having me, Chandra. So Colorado loves beer, making it and consuming it. Tell us more about that. You you hit it on the head. Um, you know, there's 50 states in the nation. There's only one Colorado when you look at the beer industry. You know, since 2006, Colorado has been the top beer producing state in the nation. We look at kind of holistically how the beer industry impacts the economy. And and nationally, there's 2.4 million jobs that rely on beer. Mm. 64,000 of those are in Colorado, uh, making almost $12.8 billion in total economic impact. So whether it's, you know, farmers growing barley to uh, producers, as you said, in Golden or Fort Collins, Denver, really anywhere, there's millions of people across the country that rely on beer and, you know, consumers everywhere who rely on good Colorado beer. To overtake California, that seems like a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. And it really is reflective of the love that Colorado has for beer. A lot of the really iconic breweries, you know, from the 1800s on have come out of Colorado from Coors and Golden to New Belgium and Fort Collins. Beer has really found a home in Colorado. And this trend continued in 2023? Yeah. So we are seeing that, you know, there's more breweries open every day in the United States. Uh, We look at overall, according to the government, there's about 9,000 breweries in the United States. In Colorado alone, there's 619 permitted breweries. And according to the Brewers Association, uh, one of the groups that we work with is actually headquartered in Boulder. There's 10 breweries per capita for every person in Colorado. Wow. So every day, uh, you know, there's more breweries, as you said in your intro, that that you could ever really try. But, you know, I know a lot of people I'm out sure there some people are, are, are giving their try, best though. shot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. People are giving it their best shot. Are the numbers in for 2023 or is that still being calculated? So we're still waiting on those. It, it We do our Beer Serves America report every two years. So we released it last year. Next one will come out in 2025. But according to, uh, you know, quarter three, of 2023, Colorado is still on top. So nothing to worry about there. <laughs> uh, I I don't think anybody's concerned. <laughs> I think we have a lot of people keeping it going here. So let's talk about Coors. As I hinted, of course, this little place in Golden, Colorado has a lot to do with this. Please tell us more about the impact of the Coors Brewing Company. 
it actually just celebrated its 150th anniversary. So it was founded in 1873 using Rocky Mountain water, and they've been developing, you know, iconic brands there ever since. So not only is it making good product, but it's supporting the community. As I said, you know, millions of jobs in the United States and uh, tens of thousands of jobs in Colorado rely on beer. And, you know, the Coors Golden Brewery is a great example of that. Yes. And I read in researching this, it is the largest single site brewery in the world. Exactly. So that is something that they wear proudly. And I know that, you know, I've been on the tour there and gotten to see the giant copper stills for myself and the mash tons and louder tons. And it's hard to believe until you see it in person. Well, I am not a beer drinker, I must confess. But growing up, my grandparents loved Coors beer. <laughs> and so even in the latter years, when I was an adult and I would hang out with my grandmother, people would always kind of be taken aback when we went to a restaurant and she's like, yeah, I'm get a Coors. And they're like, no, really, what do you want? She's like, no, I want a Coors. <laughs> That's one of the most beautiful things about these American brands is you have these iconic brands. You know, it's Anheuser-Busch, it's Molson Coors. They're so fundamental to American culture now. So as we look at 2024, is there anything exciting going on with the industry that we should be aware of? I think the biggest thing that we've been really excited about is the industry is continuing to develop. So every day there's more products on the shelves. There's more things coming to market. And a lot of it is reflective of what consumers want. So we see that consumers are drawing more and more from the lower and no alcohol beverage space. Mm. So our brands are really investing in those. It's something that you saw in January that people were really choosing to re-examine their relationship with alcohol. Mm. And beer is really taking that head on. And so according to Nielsen, beer makes up 86% of all non-alcoholic beverage dollar sales in the United States. So that is a number that's been growing exponentially. Um, you know, as we talked about Anheuser-Busch, Bolson Coors, Constellation Brands, Heineken, Sam Adams, Athletic Brewing. These are all growing in the non-alc space. And Athletic Brewing, which is an exclusively non-alcoholic beer brewer, is actually the 14th largest craft brewer in the United States now. And beer is uniquely positioned because, you know, when you look at a, a low alcohol beer or a non-alcoholic beer, it is beer. Mm. Whether or not it has alcohol or not, it's brewed the same. It has the same ingredients. It has that same pause that you have when you take that first sip. Alex, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was Alex Davidson, Director of Public Affairs for the Washington, D.C.-based Beer Institute, the oldest national trade association representing the beer industry. Our state has been the top beer-producing state since overtaking California in 2006. Valentine's Day is tomorrow, and that big question is ever looming for many of us. What to do with your boo? How about bathing in beer? Yes, you heard that right. Bathing in beer. I'm talking about what's known as a beer spa. They're only available in a handful of states, and Colorado is one of them. The Oakwell Beer Spa, located in Denver's historic Five Points community, is the only beer spa in Colorado. When I saw the sign in passing one day, I just had to learn more about it. But before giving it a test run, or should I say test soak with my own boo, I got the lowdown from the spa's co-owner, Damien Zuawi. I'm guessing most people listening are like me. A beer spa? What's that? And why would anyone bathe in beer? 
Well, it's it's the best of both worlds. So you have the relaxation in one part where you indulge in your private spa room. Your spa room has a sauna, a beautiful rain shower, and a giant tub. Uh, like most of the people are asking, are we really bathing in beer? Well, no. Actually, we're bathing into a giant tub packed of fresh beer ingredients, fresh hops, fresh barley, and different other herbal ingredients. It can be eucalyptus, it can be mistletoe, it can be all spices. It really depends on the season. But hops and barley are really good for you. It's full of nutrients, antioxidants, vitamins, mostly vitamins B2 and B3, which makes your hair and your skin shinier and softer. Hops is a, is a sedative. This is actually the cousin of marijuana. Um, so when you bath into fresh hops, and barley, but mainly hops, uh, it acts like an aromatherapy around you and really helps you to relax. Uh, it's like pretty much like when you drink a, a hoppy IPA, you get a kind of like, you know, a bit uh, sleepy after, which is what the bath does to you. So no, it is not coarse light and it, it is not bud light. It is the real thing. And we've always said beer is good in and out. I'm trying to get a sense of how unique this is. How many beer spas would you say there are in the country right now? So far, there is uh, just a handful of beer spas, uh, one in Florida, one in Illinois, and one in Maryland. Most of those beer spas uh, have a different approach. They're all very good, but uh, they have a very different approach of what we, we offer, which is why actually we, we are uh, so far rated the best day spa in Denver, in Colorado, for the past few years, the best uh, place on Heard by Time magazine, actually, and uh, the best date night. So describe for us, what is the beer spa experience? Absolutely, yes. So um, a beer spa experience is from the first second you come in, will make you feel right at home with some uh, cozy sleepers. We'll check you in with a quick waiver. And IDs, because we have beer and wine um, on tap. And then after your old check-in, we give you a tumbler and we'll escort you to a beer wall. We have 10 taps and every month we have a new brewery taking over those taps. And we walk you through all of those taps to help you to choose your first beer. And we actually as well teach you how to self-pour yourself a beer or a wine or a kombucha or cider. As soon as you're done with a beer part, we actually seat you in a beautiful tap room and we have you start to ease into your relaxing experience. And then we'll drop you to your private spa room, your beer bath, your main attraction for your uh, wellness experience. And you'll be bathing in about 45 minutes, which is a perfect timing. Please note that this is not a hot tub. This is actually a warm tub. The temperature of the water is between 95 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit. We do that on purpose to not uh, kill the benefits of those fresh hops and barley and different other ingredients. Are all of your ingredients, so to speak, locally sourced? Yes, so we partner with local breweries. There is no reason for us to go out. Uh, and then we actually use hops and barley from one of the beer we have on tap. Um, do they have the hops and barley from Colorado? Not necessarily, but it is important for us that every month 
whenever we have one among the six beers we have on tap, it is important to use one of the hops and barley uh, from that specific beer in, into the tap. Being Colorado's only beer spot is especially interesting here in the Rocky Mountain State because according to data provided by the Washington, D.C.-based Beer Institute, Colorado has been the top beer-producing state since overtaking California in 2006. Did that factor into your decision to set up shop here? Absolutely, yes. There is over 400 breweries, micro big, small, medium in Colorado. And let's say it's Colorado. People in Colorado are so open-minded. I think they're the first one who wants to bath in beer <laughs> and drink beer in the same time. They love well everything related to wellness and well-being. We've got that strong culture of hot springs here. So it was just a perfect spot for people to bring them beer and wellness at the same time. Does the altitude here in Denver in Colorado affect what you do? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I would uh, actually say that whenever we have visitors from out of state, I would recommend them to drink a lot of water before, during, and after the experience. Uh, but so far, the people from Colorado are living the dream. Well, perfect ending for a Valentine's retreat. <laughs> Thank you, Damien. Thank you so much, Chandra. Now let's get back to my tour of Colorado's only beer spa. Oakwell Beer Spa is located in Denver's Five Points community. I stopped by with my boo just in time for a quick Valentine's Day escape. And as you will hear, it's about so much more than just bathing in beer. Okay, we're here. Welcome to Oakwell. My name is Tyler. Nice to meet you. If you wouldn't mind slipping into some slippers, make yourself comfortable. I'll grab your IDs, get you set up with some beer cards, have you sign a couple waivers, and we'll get your experience started. Awesome. We're greeted by a warm smile as soon as we walk through the door on this chilly night. Then we grab some slippers and head into the main spa area. Well, I'm walking over here. Uh, it's really nice, beautiful chandelier above kind of an industrial lofty feel with the exposed ductwork. There's music playing. Um, there's lots of seats sprinkled around the room. Oh wow, this room is uh, a really decked out room. It, it kind of looks like an, it, it, like an outdoor room indoors. They've got trees, they've got lights. Tree stump. Um, tree stumps. They've <laughs> <laughs> got lights, uh, plants, and um, very comfortable seat seating chairs as well as couches. Uh, the floor is a uh, gray and uh, white and black decor, and they've got fresh uh, wood paneling uh, set up, kind of like a, kind of like you would at a spa. <laughs> so not a, a traditional spa. A traditional spa, yes, not a surprise. It's very beautiful. Whoever did the design in here really knew what they were doing. There's a huge clawfoot tub in the lobby. Oh, and looking at these pictures, looks like we could get in that tub if we want to, <laughs> to take a picture. That sounds fun. Awesome. Then we head to what's called the beer wall for a preview of what's available on tap. Can you describe what you're seeing here? Yes, I'm seeing uh, six different beer options, one through six. Uh, seven is a non-alcoholic option. Uh, grapefruit ginger. <laughs> Number eight is a cider. And then nine and ten are wines. Uh, again, to ensure uh, options for customers with a variety of tastes. 
Yeah, I'd be more than happy to go over the, all the beers that we have on tap currently. Just give you some descriptions of those. Sure. Yeah. I'm noticing that all the selections have Colorado ties. Yes, that is correct, yeah. Most of them are going to be fairly close to Denver, but we do feature breweries from all over Colorado. So every single month we feature a different brewery. This month we have dedicated our first five taps to New Terrain out of Golden. So the first beer that I have from them is their German-style Kolsch, their Rise and Climb. It's going to be very crisp, very smooth finish. That actually did win a silver medal at the Great American Beer Fest recently. And then speaking of smooth, their second beer I have is their Crantan Groove. That is a cranberry tangerine cream ale. Tangerine comes through a little bit, more cranberry forward on the end. Uh, very, very smooth. Third I have from them is their sour. They're against the current. That is a red currant sour. Not a whole lot of pucker for a sour though. So for anyone out there that's curious about that, that doesn't normally like sours, I would recommend trying that. For fans of earthy and herbal teas, I have their Joshua Tree, that's going to be a spruce-tipped IPA, so very, very piney, very earthy, but very, very smooth for an IPA, not very bitter at all. And then the last beer that I have from New Terrain is going to be their Rambler, and that is a amber ale, very heavy and caramel and malt. And then moving on to a couple of our permanent selections. So we're actually blessed. We had Spice Trade down in Denver Tech Center make a beer just for us. That's our spa sidekick. That is a cucumber and lemon goza. So they make that with fresh cucumbers, add a bit of rock salt during the process. So a little sour, a little salty, but very cucumber forward, kind of our version of spa water. So we're very blessed to have them do that for us. It's flavorful, not too strong, not overwhelming. Um, but I can definitely taste the, the cucumber, and I think that brings out the flavor of the beer itself. It's really like alcoholic spa water is the best way to describe it, for me at least. And then we do also feature a uh, local winery, Infinite Monkey Theorem. I appreciate that. <laughs> We have their Watchmaker's Red Blend, which is going to be pretty dry. And then we also have their Rosé, which has notes of cherries and strawberry, going to be very dry for a Rosé. So if you're a dry wine fan, we've got you covered. Awesome. So there are certain ones that you would only experience at certain times of year, and then you have your permanent options. Correct. Yeah, so we do, we do our best to make sure that we're featuring local Colorado breweries each month, just to make sure we're having an eclectic experience. the excitement is all built up, it's finally time to head to the beer treatment room, or as the team at Oakwell refers to it, the main attraction. I'm going to walk you down to your room here. This evening we have you in beer therapy room number three. Are you ready? Ready. Ready. Okay, all right, without further ado, on the count, three, two, one, dun, da 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 Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yes, your own little private oh. oasis here. <laughs> All right, and friends, we're gonna start you out in the infrared sauna for your first 20 minutes. You'll be in there detoxing, opening up your pores, relaxing your muscles, probably sweating it out a little bit. This is your 20 minute timer to keep track of those minutes. So feel free to take this and the tumblers in there with you. Just keep those lids nice and tight and that will keep your drinks chilled. And then when you are finished, we will switch you over here to the rain shower. 
this is my favorite part. I like to call this portion the beer challenge. So I always suggest take a big swig of your shower beer, take a big breath, and then you both will jump into freezing cold water for about 10 to 15 seconds. <laughs> so it doesn't last super long, but that helps get your blood to circulate so you can absorb benefits from the tub better, gets rid of all the sweat from the infrared sauna. And then I just like to call it the beer challenge if you get competitive to see who lasts the longest. So have fun or not with that portion. And then over here, of course, our main event is going to be the hydrotherapy beer tub. This is where you will spend a majority of your time while you're here. And you can see, I'm going to grab this little tea bag here. We've got these cool tea bags that float in the water. It has a mixture of the hops and the malt from the Spruce Tip IPA from Nutrain which is great. It's full of antioxidants, which gives a lot of protective benefits to your skin. Also works as a vasodilator, which means it helps circulate blood throughout the body. And that in turn helps your skin stay nice, vibrant, and youthful. The malt in this blend is a natural hydrator, which is great. It's good for your hair, your skin, your nails. And then hops, if you didn't know, is a natural sedative. So that will be the one that helps you kind of relax and unwind while you are here. Get to say you bathed in beer as well, which I think is always the best part. And then if you feel the water, you can see it's a little bit cooler than a normal hot tub. We do that for two different reasons. We don't want to overheat you while you're here in your private suite. We really want you to be able to sit in there and soak up all of those amazing benefits. But we also just don't want to get rid of those benefits that that tea bag provides. But you'll see across the tub here, a big pitcher of water to keep you both hydrated. put on our swimsuits, then head to the toasty sauna. All right, let's step out of the sauna here. Then that's followed by a frigid few minutes in the rainfall shower. I guess it's off to the beer shower. <laughs> that's a cold shower. <laughs> Finally, it's time to check out this cozy barrel-like tub that features a tea bag-like strainer full of hops and barley and all kinds of beer ingredient goodies. And the aroma is simply amazing. The water, bubbling here, circular barrel looking tub. How does it feel? Feels great, nice and warm, very relaxing. The time passes by way too quickly. All right, the bubbles have stopped in the quote-unquote warm tub. And so I believe that's our cue. But we agreed that it lived up to its billing as a unique Colorado experience. Yeah. Kind of believe in these uh, hops and, uh, <laughs> and these beer ingredients really relax you. It, it feels almost like you're transporting yourself into a different space and... Perfect. That was me and my boo at Colorado's only beer spa. I mean, Oakwell Beer Spa, located in Denver's Five Points community. Formerly known as simply the Beer Spa, 
In 2021, it was highlighted in Time magazine as a must-do activity while visiting Denver. Mostly a European trend, beer spas have kind of been a thing in places like the Czech Republic, Austria, and Iceland for a while. But Colorado is among just a handful of states that have tapped into the beer spot trend in the U.S. You may find one in Orlando and Chicago, and one just opened in December in Maryland, just outside of Baltimore. Oakwell Beer Spa has announced plans to open a second location in Metro Denver's Highlands Ranch community this fall. While we're on the subject of beer, February is Stout Month here in Colorado a beer holiday founded by Boulder's beloved Mountain Sun Brewery more than 30 years ago. The term stout dates back to 1677 in the beer world and refers to the alcohol content of a beer and not its complexion. Over the past three decades, Stout Month has become quite the anticipated event among beer connoisseurs here in Colorado. For the entire month of February, many local breweries such as Mountain Sun, Southern Sun, Under the Sun, and Longed Peak will be rotating local versions of the Dark Ale on tap. I spoke with Drew Watson, co-owner of Denver's Hops and Pie, about what makes Stout Month so quintessential to the Colorado experience. It's kind of the community of it, right? Like people getting together, you know, maybe strangers sitting next to each other at the bar. They all came in for the same reason to celebrate, you know, after sitting together, tasting all sorts of different stouts, they're talking, they're having a good time. It's it's the community of it, in my opinion. That's what I like about it. You know, stuff like that is just more fun with others. You know, it's a it's an excuse to get together, I think. <laughs> we all love that, don't we? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is Stout Month like here in Colorado? What should someone expect? Uh, you know, places that participate, their menu will change, right? Instead of maybe, uh, say, for example, if you had 20 draft lines, right? That was all all mixed up generally. But during Stout Month, half of those, you know, maybe you have 10, 12 stouts on from all different breweries from all over the country, maybe a few from overseas. And it gives people an opportunity to come through and try a lot of different stuff that wouldn't normally be available. Drew Watson co-owner of Denver's Hops and Pie, speaking with me about Stout Month, Colorado's signature celebration of beer, underway this month. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Molly Cruz. Andrea Dukakis, Rachel Estabrook, Michelle Fulcher, Matt Hers, Tom Hess, Michael Hughes, Chris Ketchum, Pedro Lumbraño, Shane Rumsey, Ryan Warner, and I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Happy Mardi Gras, everyone! This is CPR News and KRCC.